uh, also known to her friends as, what is it, Conita? <laughs> and uh, who's going to be it's giving really... us some insight today. <clears throat> and of course, the equally lovely David P. Curtis, who's going to be uh, talking to us about the sight. Um, he's got wonderful sight, wonderful long distance vision. I've always been jealous of that. Uh, of course, for those of you who may not recognize the accent, this is me, Judy Curtis, coming to you live from Cape Ann. And thank you for joining us again, uh, all you art lovers and artists. We really appreciate you uh, uh, hanging in there and uh, listening to our numerous podcasts. This is number 18, and we're going to be talking about experiencing paintings. Uh, it sounded like a very interesting topic when uh, David and Connie told me what we were going to be discussing. And I thought, well, what can I talk about that comes as experiencing paintings. So I went to my trusty little book here that has lots of interesting quotes in, just to see if there was anything that would give me an idea. And I came across this comment that say uh, by David Smith, who says, we've let anthropologists, philosophers, historians, connoisseurs, mercenaries, and everybody else tell us what art and painting should be. I think we ought to very simply let it be what the artist says it is. So it is, it's very difficult to talk about art appreciation, making art, experiencing art. I suppose my first thought was when I was a child, I grew up in a house where we always had art on the walls. Uh, coming from a, an English uh, background, we didn't necessarily have original art on the walls, but we always had good quality prints from people like uh, John Constable, A.J. Manning, she would always have those classic uh, English views. And so I grew up around that. And the first piece of art that I bought, again, a print, but I absolutely fell in love with it when I saw it in a store, was John Singer Sargent's Oyster Gatherers. And I thought that was the most beautiful painting, just the way that the colours uh, flowed. It was a, a pleasing design. The colours were pleasing. <clears throat> Everything just... I didn't know why I liked it at the time, but it was just something that really um, made me feel good just to look at it. And perhaps that's a, a good way to describe experience in paintings. Maybe it just has to give us a good feeling that, you know, all, all is right with the world, even if there's little pockets of um, discord here and there. A good painting can really set you up for the day. And so enough of my blather. I'm going to have another drink of coffee and I'm going to hand <laughs> you over to David, who is going to give us some of his rare sight. So take it away, Dave. Um, yes, uh, experiencing uh, painting and not art. Experiencing painting, meaning an individual painting. And um, a good choice, Judy, on the uh, Oyster Gatherers is, a, oh, is one of your first favorite paintings. <laughs> it's, it's a major piece by Sargent. Um, and um, uh, probably plain air. I think there's two versions of it. Yes. And we're lucky there's one in Boston. I forget what the other other version is mm -hmm. of Oyster Gathers. One a little bigger than the other, and one maybe made a little better than the other yeah, one. Yeah, this one was very impressionistic. Uh, I think I think experiencing painting, we have a double-edged sword here. We're true justice, right? We mm -hmm. have the edge that we could say from us, Connie and myself, as painters outdoors, uh, experiencing painting that way, or the art appreciator uh, visiting museum, or as Judy said, experiencing <laughs> painting from the point of view of appreciating uh, art. Um, and I think I think that's the beauty of art versus other things because it is a 
It is something whereby, I mean, architecture we experience by it being there in front of us. We don't have to pay an admission to see a performance, whether it's a play, a theater, or dance. And um, painting, you do have to enter a museum. And many years ago, they were always meant to be free. And a lot of people don't really understand that museums probably originally were intended for people to go and study art. So the first museums... Um, uh, probably in Europe, were probably meant as places to study, uh, to learn to paint through copying. Uh, things of that nature were the first museums. Uh, and now they've become a little on the elitist side, that uh, you have to have a thorough education to go into a museum. But my story sort of applies to both. When I started off studying in an atelier in Boston, uh, which was a group of three artists studying with one great teacher, Ives Gamel. And um, it was an old process. This atelier goes all the way, the system goes all the way back to the Renaissance. And um, it was such a thorough uh, immersion in uh, how to paint. And he was such a wonderful teacher. He also uh, could lecture at any given time. I mean, I heard a three-hour lecture of his while driving him all the way to Williamstown, a three-hour lecture on Michelangelo's inspirational poetry all the way out to Williamstown. And it was, it, was, it, was, uh, it, was, it was amazing that he could do this. So I had such a thorough art education, not learning to paint, but also art history, that I always felt that at 18 that if my decision was to change my occupation and become something other than a painter that I would have such an appreciation for art not because of the small amounts that my teacher had introduced me and then myself learning about painting that I could go into any museum and, and spend hours appreciating art. So the frustration of being a painter, maybe you're better off in being an appreciator of art. <laughs> and I sort of think that that's what we're talking about here is the that idea that you could be look at a painting and appreciate it and, and involve yourself in it. Um, and I think more people, I think more people in the past talked about art. This podcast, I think, is kind of unique that um, a lot of my friends won't talk about art. They just want to go out and do it. And that's their... Are giving away too many secrets? Maybe that's it. Oh, maybe being considered poetical? <laughs> yeah, yes. You don't want to be a poet. You want to, you know, you're a baseball player, not a poet, you know. Hmm. Uh, so it's it's I think it's important that we do this I, from the art appreciation point of view. I think this is a great topic for that reason, and also too from the point of view. Uh, yesterday we we're out painting. Uh, Connie and I were painting in Essex, and I think um, I think we were experiencing painting when we were, when we were doing that. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, experiencing paintings means to me um, that we must identify with the thing being experienced. So that, you know, you're talking about the oyster gatherers. Uh, you know, it's, it's something in that piece was allowing you to identify. Now, we might say it's the subject matter or we might say it's the feeling that was produced by this. Oh, I you think know? it was probably the, the feeling because I couldn't identify with an oyster gatherer because <laughs> I'd never tried it. <laughs> yeah, so, um, but I think it, it takes, uh, you know, there's, a, I also think that art in, in, you know, when we're doing something about nature is seen through a personality. Mm -hmm. and, and speaking as a, as a psychologist, you know, I think that there's a lot of projection 
and uh, we we project a lot of things uh, from our own experience, our personal experiences, onto the painting itself, and and that too brings forth uh, a lot of um, of personal feelings that you might say, I like this piece or I don't like this piece. But I think also when David was talking about art appreciation and and gaining a full. Uh, complete appreciation of, of what it what it's like to to go out there. Um, I mean, he's talking from being a painter to also experiencing the painting on the wall. Uh, he referred to museums, but we know too that original pieces of artwork are not just in museums; they're in galleries, they're on the walls of homes. Uh, we can experience paintings throughout. Um, our, um, you know, our walk about the, you know, the towns or uh, wherever. Uh, I remember one thing that that strikes me in my history is that I was in Ireland with my husband, and um, <clears throat> we were looking for uh, his origins, and we were in Cork, and we went into a, a family home, and there was this beautiful painting that this lady decides that she wants to um, sell me. So so uh, we currently have this piece. It's very Irish, and it's on our walls, um, and, uh, and it always reminds me of that time, that trip. Now, what is it a good piece of artwork? I don't, not, I'm not sure in terms of the... Um, you know, what we would uh, define as classic or masterful artwork, that this fa- this qualifies. But yet, it, the identification of the time, the where I picked it up, all, all these things are very meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, that's my two bits yeah. worth. <laughs> okay, that's it for you, huh? Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, so yeah, I, I'm still sort of, you know, trying to get my mind wrapped around this idea of experiencing painting as I, you know, when you first mentioned this, I was thinking of it, how do you experience paintings either as a viewer or as the artist? But if you talked about experiencing paintings, are we talking about just art appreciation? Are we talking about the act of going out there and naturally just doing it? Um, I guess... You know, it means something different to to each of us. Well, we could overanalyze it. I, yeah. I think well, that's well, that's very large. common in art. I think there was uh, mm-hmm. Tom Wolfe's book, uh, uh, The Painted Word, I believe it is, uh, where he says he was on a train reading a, um, a review of an art show. Uh, it was a contemporary art show. And in order for him to go there, he'd have to read these three philosophical books to understand what was going on. Mm -hmm. And it was just shapes and colors in the show. And he thought this was kind of unusual. So he did a thorough investigation as a journalist into what that world was all about. And it's a great book if anyone wants it. It's a point of view. But it's true. I mean, um, art shouldn't be what somebody tells you it is. It should be uh, left for the viewer. I think that's the enjoyment. And whether you experience it through a feeling basis or through some sort of logical realm, I, I think that's important. Does the person who's a painter experiencing, uh, if you go with them to a museum, does he know any more about 
the paintings because he's an artist himself than um, than the viewer? I don't think so. I don't think that. I mean, if you have a thorough knowledge of art history, yeah, that's interesting uh, because it, it, art histories are wonderful. I learned mostly factual history or the history of the world through art history. You know, what was going on, who the kings were of England, uh, Spain, uh, 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 History of the world is interesting through through the perspective of art. Um, you probably heard us when we returned yesterday. We did a <laughs> thorough critique, Connie ripping my painting apart and me <laughs> ripping her painting apart, and you were witnessing that. And so we were talking in very technical terms about design and composition mostly. I, yeah, but I, I didn't say. see it as ripping things apart. It's not. It, no, I saw no. it more as what your father would say would be constructive criticism about, yeah, I like this bit here, but maybe if you change this bit over here. Um, but yes, I do wonder how you can talk for six hours after you've painted all day on how what you were trying to say or how you could improve it. Right. Um, and I know, you know, from years of living with you, that if you have a painting out that you're always looking at it, even a finished painting that's signed, framed and hung on the wall... I came back from um, from doing the grocery shopping, oh, you know, not long after we were married, and I found David standing there. It was his day off from working at the Guild of Boston Artists. He was stood there with a palette in his hand, and he was just touching up something in the painting because he just noticed it. So even once is a painting ever finished? I mean, these artists cannot let well alone. So when when you're experiencing painting. Are you consciously thinking of, I want the viewer to see this or that in it? I mean, what's your thought process? You, you're creating, you know, a work of art that will stand the test of time and one day be hanging in the Museum of Fine Arts. What is it? Are you trying to send a message sure. to the viewer? I'm or not you're painting for the enjoyment? I think, I think that when you speak from the painter's point of view, um, the experience of painting... Is, is a constant, um, depending on, on how deep they are in their, in their personal experience of, of painting, um, I think it's an obsession. I think there's a certain kind oh, of obsessive I, quality I, I to it. I think painting is very obsessive. And, um, so obsessive compulsive, even. <laughs> perhaps. But, um, but, you know, I wouldn't want to, um, like put a label on it in that regard, because I think there's passion. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of passion, a lot of feeling that goes into it. And, um, and also, um, it depends. I mean, you might be really obsessed over the color value and harmony. You might be obsessed over the, the, uh, you know, how you've drawn something. Mm -hmm. Um, there's, there's all kinds of, um, I think, I think personally for me, it's the unity of yeah. the piece. I like to see a certain unity, regardless of whether it's the line, the rhythm, the space, the tone, whatever those sorts of things are that, that come into play. I would like to see them orchestrated. However, I think that's a good word, orchestration. It yeah. is a lot like the conductors. Um, it's the conductors of, um, you know, it's, it's what a, the way a conductor would interpret a, a piece of music is very similar to what this is all about. Um, so I think, I, I think, I think it's a case of, um, 
uh, an interpretation. And no two conductors would take a piece of music such as Beethoven's and interpret it the same way. We all have different interpretations of, uh, of what we see in front of us. And I think that's what's interesting. As a teacher for 25 years, um, if they all painted the same subject matter, I'd still think that those, uh, let's say, 10 students would have 10 different interpretations of what they see. Who's right and who's wrong? I think that's up to the viewer. You know, we're experiencing painting. So the viewer sees this particular piece as the correct interpretation of what he sees as well as what the artist sees. Uh, whether there's some sort of synchronicity between the viewer once they find a painting and the, um, and the painter, I'm not sure. I think, I think we talked a little bit also too about if we're experiencing painting, the similarity between that and consciousness or experiencing consciousness.
of course, that's a uh, that's a whole other aspect of painting is whether we're aware as we're painting, as we're experiencing painting, are we 100% aware of what we're doing from stroke to stroke? I think the real fine painters uh, have done it long enough that they're, they understand their, their sort of sensitivity towards their own brush strokes and what they can do and what they can't do. Uh, like, like a fine musician, I would imagine. Yeah, but surely even, are you saying that they're not thinking about what they're doing from brush stroke to brush stroke? Um, it's, it's not something that um, people are just painting from, um, you know, surely you have to think about what you're doing. You have to think about your composition. You have to set things up before you even start painting. It's not just something, you can't just set up your easel and, um, and, and just start painting and expect to get a great painting at the end of it. Well, I think, you know, plein air painting is, is about being outdoors, and I think that's what I mean by consciousness. I think we, we also have the uh, concept of nature's, nature being uh, the source of beauty or where beauty is found. Therefore, that's the attraction, uh, like a beautiful lady, you know. I mean, it's something beautiful that your eyes are made and attracted to. So I think in that sense, we're very aware of what we're doing because there is nature in front of us. Uh, I think we're trying to emulate nature, not necessarily copy it per se. I think some people feel that that's necessary to copy it per se, uh, exactly the way it is. Even if it's not a good composition. Right, and therefore I think if you're bringing composition into painting, um, and I think that is, uh, that's a very important aspect to... Uh, and maybe in that sense, but, um, you know, I, I was out painting today, um, brought back a, a painting, uh, made compositional adjustments, and also tried to push the painting a little farther, and I think that's what we're doing. So I think it's between the outdoors and the indoors. Um, but I think in front of nature, painting plain air, I think it, nature gives you so many opportunities, so many suggestions that... Um, maybe in that sense, we're more conscious of our, um, our harmonies with nature. Yeah. Well, I suppose, all right, maybe I'm getting off the subject a bit, but you talked about being conscious of nature and what you're doing. Would somebody like A.T. Hibbert, who seems to be such a great painter, was he unconscious about how he did things? He didn't think about it? Or was it just that it was ingrained in him because he'd had such a good training? Um, or did he consciously make decisions to move things about? I, I think that became his, his mantra, you might say, of uh, uh, designing consciously. But uh, we look at his earlier pieces and we can see close up where he's made compositional decisions and changes. Mm -hmm. uh, something minute as uh, the tree on this side of the wall, no, I want the tree on the other side of the wall. So he puts paints over the wall a little bit and put, moves the tree on the other side. Little things like that. So that says he was probably very sensitive towards uh, the arrangement of things and very down, down to very minute details. Yeah. Uh, he understood the, uh, we, we, uh, we call it the gestalt, the unity in a painting. Uh, it has to be interesting. We need the variety, but it has to have that unity uh, to, uh, to win out. And I, and I think when, even if I was unconscious and uh, just a viewer of fine art, um, and I got away from the idea of judging whether I thought it was any good or not. 
but just appreciating it for what it was meant to be, uh, let's say a landscape, uh, trees and meadows and things like that. If, if I had a feeling, or he captured a feeling, no matter what the design was, somebody told me that's a poor design, but I still experienced something beautiful in the painting. Um, that's one of the wonders that, that happens, I think, when we're painting, is yeah. that it does make a connection. Um, we could call it archetypal, that people appreciate it for the same reason. Maybe it's the colors. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's the feeling. So I think when we experience a painting, I don't think it necessarily is all the things that painters like to talk about. If I like to talk about values, maybe in this one the values were off, but it still made a connection with somebody for some reason. So in that sense, they the the oddity might have been what they were helping them to experience. Yeah. Um, uh, painters are always being asked by their dealers, um, David, do you have anything with red flowers in the <laughs> foreground? Uh, no, I don't. Well, could you make one? <laughs> and so you can go down that path. And uh, if I did that, they'd, I'd probably bring in the paint. They'd say, well, it's the wrong shade of red. It has to be more uh, orangey, David. Uh, I thought I told you that. No, yeah, well, I thought it's got to match the budget right, or the so couch. <laughs> it, the, I suppose that's why I'd never want to be a portrait artist because I think there'd always be something wrong with the, the eye or the nose. Well, or isn't that why mouth. so many great artists gave up on... On doing portraits simply because they it was too much to have the the sitter or even somebody other than the sitter come in and say no that's wrong yeah i mean marguerite pearson was always talking about people coming in and criticizing portraits of of people she was doing um because well you know this hair was out of place so this vestment wasn't was crumpled when it should be straight because that's how they would be regardless of the design so i guess that um artists experience a great deal of uh of problems when they're dealing with either doing the actual painting or dealing with the people who might like to buy the painting, but can you change this for Exactly, and I think that's why I enjoy being an outdoor landscape painter because uh, uh, for that very reason, if they don't like it, they can go on to something else. But if they like what I create, and, and then I can have... If I want to experiment with um, making colors brighter or making colors more neutral, um, I can do that. And uh, if somebody says, "Gee, it's not your old style," I don't. Uh, I oh, think it's just. Do you have still to have a style? Can you, exactly. as a painter, don't you? You don't want to be pigeonholed. You want to be able exactly. to do something right. that speaks for the moment. You don't want to have to answer the call on the red flowers. <laughs> no, no, you don't. Uh, but I, I think experiencing painting. I think you touched upon it, Judy, because you're you're not historian. That I think if I if I can say that when I go to the museum, I'm not the same artist. I don't think that is out there painting. I think it's a different part of myself appreciating art and just going, "Wow, look at look what Rembrandt could do!" Yeah. You know, an amazing. And it's as as his thinking seems as as sophisticated to me today as it probably was in the day he did it. Yeah. You know, even though I might not have been able to talk to him personally. Uh, there's a quality in his work that's very, I think, very contemporary. Same with Sargent. Um, and we could say that even about Leonardo, maybe mm-hmm. in a more of a Leonardo da Vinci in a more mystical sense, the um, the virgin amongst the, the Madonna and the rocks, mm-hmm. I think it's, it is. Uh, it's just a wonderful thing, and it has a mystery and a quality to it. Uh, that uh, that helps you experience uh, 
you know, beautiful painting, and it doesn't feel like it's out of this century. It doesn't yeah. feel like no, it's, it's ancient. Yeah. Or, right. It has a, and I, I would say that about the cave paintings. I haven't seen too many of the cave paintings. No, I haven't seen any of them. I've seen pictures of them. Yeah. <laughs> well, don't, uh, don't think that we're cutting Connie out of the conversation here. Unfortunately, she had to dash off. Um, I think a phone call or something. So we were just trying to keep the thought going. Obviously, she's not going to get back in time for the sign-off. So um, thank you very much, Dave, for your contribution there uh, and for keeping things going. Um, and my last thought is we would, I started off talking about uh, the John Singer Sargent painting of the oyster gatherers. Uh, and I know my mother-in-law used to say, well, she'd heard that you always look for something that reminds you of your childhood in a painting. And I've never been able to see that particularly because um, when I look at American landscape paintings, they don't remind me of my childhood. I grew up in England. But when I look at the oyster gatherers, I can see that the little kid on the right-hand side who's just rolling their trouser legs up, I can just see myself going down onto Filey Beach and having to roll my jeans up so that they wouldn't get wet when I ran into the water. So maybe, maybe there's some truth in that and that we do look for something from our childhood. Anyway, on that note, I'd like to thank you for listening and I hope you'll uh, join us for next week. Until then, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Dave. Mm-hmm.